Welcome to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I'm on a heartfelt mission through the art of conversation and storytelling to inspire women to pursue their creative entrepreneurial journey with reckless abandon. I'm your host, Taylor, a six-figure photographer and business coach based in Colorado. I'm a right-brain mompreneur to two toddler boys, devoted deep conversation holder, and your personal alpaca cuddle liaison. My hope is that you leave our time together feeling empowered and energized to build your dream life. Learn more at fearlessvampire.com. Welcome back to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I am really excited about this episode today because we're going to talk about and dive pretty deep into using the word should, which we are all guilty of, and why I have decided to remove it from my vocabulary for the rest of my life. I was going to do a 30-day test and my husband was like, why 30 days? Just remove this word forever. (laughs) So as I said in the last episode, I want to anchor our time together with a quote. This quote is from Anne Schumacher, beating ourselves up for what we should have done or telling ourselves who we should be is akin to fighting an enemy within us. So this thought really came to me while I was journaling. I don't know if you're a journaler, but man, when I was in high school and college, I had books and books and books filled with all my thoughts. I love to externally process and I always had a journal with me. I mean, it was like it was like having a cell phone in today's day and age. I always had my journal with me because I just had to get these thoughts out of my head. And so the word should showed up while I was journaling. And if you think about it and if you say it too many times, it's a really weird word, but it's also an outrageously disappointing word. According to Oxford languages, the word should, by definition, is used to indicate obligation, duty, or correctness, typically when criticizing someone's actions. So I do have friends and family in my life that use this word a lot. And I'm, I'm talking a lot, like to the point where I, it honestly leaves me feeling depressed and quite frankly, completely depleted because I know that this person is not going to do the things that they're saying that they should do. And so I took it upon myself to go ahead and just pay attention to how often I use it. So the word should implies a belief that you have about actions not yet taken or not taken at all. And if you think about on a daily basis, when this word shows up, it's when we're angry, when we've been let down, when we have felt abandoned. So saying things like she should, or he should, I should, they should, they're all quite frankly filled with really harsh judgment. Like, so can we all agree on that? That is pretty harsh judgment. There's also should not. And should not is equally harmful because it implies that someone has already done something against your expectations. Now, notice I said expectation. That is really the only time that we use the word should. So when you're in a relationship, he should have called. He should want to be with me. They should love me. They should have thought about doing this thing for me that I did not express that I needed. So should is always used in tandem with disappointment. And then when we use the word should in our own life, there's a few things that happens. One, it relinquishes our own power to make decisions. 
it actually implies that we've already made up our mind. So if, if you think about it this way, when you say, oh gosh, I should go to the gym versus I should not skip the gym tonight. Both of those indicate that you have completely relinquished any control that you have about going to the gym. And there's a lot of other ways that this is used. Oh, I, I should have reached out to my best friend today to see how her doctor's appointment was. I should have called my mom this morning. I should have been there more for my husband or my wife or my partner. I should have spent more time with my kids. Like, if you really think about the number of times that you say should, it's actually kind of scary. Whenever we use the word should, we also avoid accepting our reality. Now, what happens whenever we do this is that we're ultimately setting ourselves up to feel one of many things, including but not limited to shame, anxiety, and depression, feeling like we're not good enough. And again, we feel like we've relinquished our power and control to an external power, as opposed to recognizing that we have the power to make this happen or not. So how has should played a role in my own life and business? I'll be honest, I used to have a tendency, and I know a lot of women struggle with this and go through this, of going to bed and thinking of all the ways I don't know why we do this to ourselves, but all the ways that I screwed up that day and all the ways that I fell short of usually other people's expectations, but sometimes my own, but typically other people's expectations. So eventually I really made some significant changes that gave me a sense of freedom and control. And these are going to be not what you would expect, but these are the areas that really I felt like were controlling my life and where I had let go of a lot of power. I haven't shared these with a lot of people, but I know right now that my audience is gonna be really pe like people who are close to me and might already know this. Some people might not know this. Some, are, some people listening might be past couples that we have worked with um, shooting their weddings and shooting family photos, people that I have coached. And so I'm gonna be pretty vulnerable here on this episode about how I have been viewing the word should my whole life and steps that I took to remove that pain from my life. So the first, I am a mom to two toddler boys. But the summer that we had our second son was really challenging. My pregnancy with him, I was not a nice person to be around. I was 15 months postpartum when I got pregnant with Dawson, my, my youngest, and that pregnancy rocked me. I was violently sick for months. And I think that I, I don't think, I know I had some perinatal depression. Perinatal depression is, we all hear about postpartum depression, which is another story for a different day, but perinatal depression is the depression that you experience while you're pregnant. And I wasn't depressed to have another baby. We had we had tried for him. We were really excited to, to have a second son. But the hormones the second time around, especially not giving my body time to recover from my first pregnancy, were wild. They were rageful. I was angry. I couldn't sleep because of this anger that I had. And I just don't deal well with pregnancy hormones. I will be, I will be honest. Pregnancy hormones do not sit well with me. I was a very unfun person to be around and married to. And I apologize to my husband still to this day for the person that I became while I was pregnant. 
So after we had our second son, like a lot of couples who go through welcoming a second child into the, the world and into their family, we were rocked. It, it was a lot to bring in a second personality with a two-year-old on top of a freaking global pandemic that was COVID-19. So our son was born December 2019, right before the pandemic, and we pretty much went into lockdown at that moment. And it was really, it was really challenging. I mean, COVID was challenging for a lot of people. I think uh, going through postpartum depression with a newborn and being completely isolated was just something that I never expected. None of us ever expected the, the pandemic of 2019, but alas, we had a newborn and a toddler. One of the things that I did to make myself feel better, which a lot of moms do, and not even feel better, but just like the mental, the mental habit, I guess, was having a glass of wine at night after our boys went to bed. Now, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. I've never had a problem with alcohol, but I, I do know that I have family members that struggle with it. So I knew that I was not immune to the possibility of alcohol becoming an issue. But at this point in my life, it just wasn't an issue. However, I found myself Googling pretty regularly, like daily, how much wine is too much? How much, how much wine can I have while I'm nursing? Now, mind you, I was having a glass of wine with dinner at night or after my kids went to bed, which sometimes was when my husband and I would eat dinner. And it took up so much mental real estate because I was constantly wondering if I was having too much, even just a glass of wine of a night, which I get for, for some people, it's a lot because they might have a glass of wine a month. For some people, they're like, are you kidding? I have three glasses of wine a night just to like go to bed. So we each have our own threshold. And for me, a glass of wine a night seemed to be excessive for myself. I just didn't feel good. I would wake up not feeling great, kind of foggy. I was still nursing. Obviously I had a newborn. I, I was nursing. And so I was like, if I have a glass of wine now and then wait three hours, then I'll be fine. Or I can pump and dump. And it was just this freaking game. Anybody who has had a baby and nursed them knows this game, whether it's with alcohol, food, caffeine, whatever, your body belongs to that baby. And so every night I would find myself saying, I shouldn't have a glass of wine. I should, I should skip tonight. I had one last night. If I skip tonight, I can have, I just should not do it. And finally, you know what I did? I quit drinking. I completely cut out alcohol from my life. Cold Turkey, June 21st, 2020. I was like, I'm done. I am so sick of going to bed at night saying, I should not have done that. I should not have had that glass of wine. I should have waited until tomorrow. That's what I should have done. Maybe I should only drink in social settings. And so I just removed it. I haven't had alcohol in almost two years. And I'll be honest, I don't miss it. I thought I would, but you add in a pandemic and we weren't really socializing with people anyway. And so um, there was no need to like cover up that I had quit drinking. And I actually haven't told a lot of my friends in my, in my circle that I that I don't drink anymore. I've never really been a big drinker. Of course, I went through college and had my nights of going to bars. Um, my dad was a musician and I would go to bars and listen to him play. And it was, it was just really fun. And when my husband and I started dating, of course, you know, you start dating, you drink a little more than you normally would to just get loose. That sounded really bad to loosen up a little bit. Ooh, sorry. To loosen up a little bit. And it just kind of became a habit. Every night I would think, I should not have done that. And so I just quit out alcohol. That I quit out. I cut out alcohol. 
that was one of the things that one of the first really pivotal moments of realizing how much control I had over my life and my body and how I perceive myself at the end of the day was removing alcohol. One of the other major things that we did was we switched to a plant-based diet and I completely removed the word should. Now, switching to a plant-based diet was totally a personal choice of going to bed at night and thinking, when was the last time I had vegetables? I should eat more vegetables. I should probably stop eating so much pasta. I should have checked the expiration date on that pork before I made it for everyone. Um, I kind of got caught up in this. I'm, I'm a health nut, not like to the extent, like I don't go run marathons, but I love nutrition. I love learning our limits as human beings. And so I, realized that I just wasn't eating enough clean food. This stems back to childhood. And I know a lot of you can relate to this, but I grew up in a family where we were always dieting. We were always trying to lose weight. I should lose 10 pounds. I should lose five pounds, which those are vanity pounds, right? Like nobody's going to notice if I lose five pounds, but I know it. And all the shoulds and shoulds not, I should have eaten low calorie food. I should have restricted my calories. I should have worked out today. And finally, I was like, what feels healthiest to me? A plant-based diet feels healthiest to me. And so a year ago, I switched to a plant-based diet. And you know what that removed? Meat and the word should. I never go to bed now saying, oh, I shouldn't have had that cheesecake. I'm going to have that damn cheesecake because I've been eating plants for the last two weeks. And I might even eat the whole cheesecake. And I don't feel guilty about it anymore. Yeah, cheesecake's totally plant-based. Like there's no meat and cheesecake. But it shifted my brain to focus solely on plant-based foods and eating healthy and nourishing foods. So that when I do have a piece of salmon once in a blue moon, now now, for those of you who do want to have me and my family over for dinner, we are not picky. If somebody else is cooking for us, we'll eat whatever they put in front of us. But at home, it removed that guilt of not fueling my body and not feeling like I had to constantly be dieting. And again, If you are a woman who grew up in the era that I grew up in, there was so much pressure to always be dieting and how much weight you should lose and how much you should weigh and BMI and magazines. And there was just so much being thrown at us in the generation that I grew up in, both at at home, but also on the media. And so switching to a plant-based diet completely removed the word should from my dietary vocabulary. One of the big things that I do is I lock up my phone. So I was watching Shark Tank and there was this box, just this like bland plastic box, but it locks and you can set the timer. So I I bought one and my, my, my husband, Mike, thought it was hilarious. He was like, are you kidding? Like, what happens if I need you? And I was like, okay, I've got an iPhone. There's Facebook. There's email. If you really need me and my phone's locked up, the one time in our life that there's a tragedy that you need to get a hold of me, call and I'll answer on my iWatch or email me and I'll, I'll be able to get a hold of you. But I started locking up my phone a few times a week in this silly plastic box. And the only way to get into it is to break it. So if you really needed something, you'd have to shatter the plastic. However, if you think about it with our phones, everything is should with our phones. Think about it. I should check the weather for today. Oh, I should reach out to this person that I, I thought I texted them back last week. I should text them back now. I should check Instagram and make sure that nobody needs to book a session. Oh, I should check my email and see if that client emailed me back. 
I should call the doctor and confirm that that appointment that I know I've confirmed friggin' 25 times via text message, but now I have to call and make sure that it's confirmed. Think about it. With our phones, everything is should. Everything from checking the weather to checking our email to checking the score of a game that we're not watching, but we really want to keep track of. Everything is should. And so for me, just by locking my phone up a couple times a week, it helps break that habit of compulsively checking my phone for absolutely no reason. But again, it's also helped remove the word should from my vocabulary. One of the other things that I did as far as health goes, it's so funny how much health and should go in tandem. But one year, my husband got me an annual pass to my yoga studio and I was so excited. I was so excited. But we travel a lot. We're big travelers and we're actually getting ready to go to Moab for a month, Moab, Utah for a month. And immediately I I was like, ooh, I should record a whole bunch of podcast episodes. And then I was like, no, 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 no. I want to record podcast episodes. And I'm going to tell you what to replace should with here in just a little bit. But anyway, my, my, my husband, my wonderful husband, bought me an annual yoga pass. And that annual yoga pass caused me so much stress, which like is like the exact opposite of what you want out of a yoga pass, right? But we were traveling so much that the few weeks that we were home for weeks at a time, I would go, gosh, I should go to yoga. I didn't go all last month because we were in San Diego. Or I should go five times this week because we're going to be in Arizona for a month coming up. And so there was this pressure and this should that kept showing up. And I found myself getting really anxious and almost resentful of my yoga class. My my yoga studio wasn't doing anything. My yoga class wasn't doing anything. My yoga practice, there was nothing wrong with it, but there was this pressure of should. I should do this and I'm not. So what I did was after that year ran out, my husband bought me a punch pass because he knew how much stress it was causing me to not be going to yoga on like with this annual pass because it really only pays off if you go two days a week. And when you're gone for a month at a time, like we are sometimes we I mean, it was like, oh, my gosh, I have to go literally seven days this week just to make up for that for that cost. And so I got a punch pass. Is it more expensive? Yes. But. I only get a punch when I show up for class. So there's no should, there's no, I'm going to miss out on it. There's no guilt associated with it, which is what should does. It just makes you feel so guilty. Now, this is a big thing. And I love, love talking about money because I grew up in a home where it was very taboo to talk about money. And we grew up at a at like below poverty level. And we had one income. My dad was a stay-at-home dad. My mom worked. And we just didn't talk about money. And my parents joked and said, we don't talk about money because we have no money to talk about. But now as a 30 something year old woman, I love talking about money. However, money was the source of stress. As you learned from the first episode, money was a source of stress for me for a very long time. And everything was should with money. I should start a savings account. I should start donating money because I don't donate my time. So I should probably donate money. I should start my retirement. So everything, everything with money. And I feel like this is across the board. Doesn't matter your gender, your age, your background, money and should a lot of times go hand in hand. I should make coffee at home so that I'm not at the coffee shop every day of the week or going to Starbucks to buy coffee. I should cook dinner tonight, but I'm going to order out instead. Oh, I should not order Chinese again this week because I have groceries at home going bad. Think about it. Think how much should shows up 
in our money life. So one of the ways that I started to remove should from my life was my husband and I got very clear on our financial goals. And we actually watched, or sorry, not watched, we listened to, I don't know if I could watch this, but we listened to Dave Ramsey's, you know, financial education books. We just started geeking out on Dave Ramsey, not for any reason other than we had heard really great things about him. And my gosh, did that light a fire under our butts to really get serious about our money and cut out should. Because I'll tell you, coming from scarcity with with money, I was terrified to buy a coffee because I didn't know if, if my debit card would get declined. Money and should go hand in hand. So one of the things that we did was watch, or listen to the Dave Ramsey books and trainings, and we got super serious and we learned what it meant to pay ourselves first. Once we started paying ourselves first and putting money into savings and retirement, should completely got removed from our vocabulary because the money that was left over was our money to spend. If it was $40 at the end of the month after we paid into our retirement, after we added money to our investments, after we put money in what we call our oh shit fund, which is our, some people call it a rainy day fund. Some people call it a savings account like most normal people, but we called it our oh shit fund so that we could have fun with it. Once all the money was put away, whatever was left, I could do whatever I wanted with. And I didn't have to deal with the should, like I should not buy this cup of coffee. I'm going to buy a cup of coffee every day this week because I got 40 bucks left over after investing or, you know, later $40 became a couple hundred dollars came, became, you know, a thousand dollars left over. I'm going to buy coffee every day because I freaking love going to the coffee shop and getting coffee. And I have already invested in myself, in my future, in my savings account. And all it took was getting clear. All it took was knowing that I was taking steps to removing should and investing and saving. So I want to tell you what you can replace should with, right? Like me telling you all of this is pretty moot if I don't share how to change it. So what I would suggest is that you find the areas of your life, and you don't have to be super diligent about this, but just get an awareness of when should shows up in your life, where it shows up, what area. Is it your health? Which I obviously beat a dead horse and told you all about the health areas that it showed up with me, alcohol, switching to a plant-based diet, locking up my phone for my mental health, my yoga studio. You can see where it shows up in my life, which is in money and relationships and health. And so just make a note of where it starts showing up in your life. And what I want you to do is I want you to replace should with this beautiful word will. I will go to the gym tonight. I will put money into my savings account this month. I will make a dinner date with my best friend that I have not seen in six months. You can like feel the power shift. Just by hearing me say that, you can feel how different it is when you commit. Should is a piss poor word that should be removed from the English language entirely, but I want you to replace it with will. And this is where you're going to start seeing shifts in your own life. I will start that business next month or this month. I will buy a camera and that's going to meet me on the level that I'm at creatively. I will go find out how I can rent a space for my new business pursuit that I really want to dive all into. You see how that shifts and how you are suddenly empowered and almost holding yourself accountable. So since I've shared that with you, I do want to talk about 
how painful it is whenever we use the word should in regards to other people. Because I know I was guilty of this in previous friendships, relationships, family members, what people should have done. Because whenever you use should in your own life, you you relinquish that power. You completely let go of the power of making your own freaking decisions and you know paving your own way. But when you use the word should in regards to somebody else, you have removed their power. You are under the impression that you are the one in charge of their decision making, of their free will to make a decision that is in their best interest. And ultimately, we are let down every time, right? He should have wanted to go on a date with me. He should have known that that's what I wanted to do. I told him that's what I wanted to do. And he still didn't show up for me. He should have shown up for me. Have you ever found yourself saying that to about a partner or a wife or a husband or a parent even? I mean, think about how much pressure that's putting on that person, one, and how much you have just set yourself up to be disappointed over and over and over again. My boss should have given me a raise. I bust my ass. They should have given me a raise. They should have given me a bigger Christmas bonus. Okay, but they didn't. So what are you going to do about it? I will tell my boss that I need a raise and I will explain my worth to my boss so that there is no shadow of a doubt that I'm going to be receiving a bonus this year. When you use the word should, you become a victim. And I want that to like just sink in for a second. When you use the word should, you become a victim. You become the victim in your own story. You become this martyr type where you're being taken advantage of. But really, nobody did anything wrong by you. It was your expectations of how they should have acted. And they did not meet those expectations. They let you down. And that's okay. It's okay to feel the feels. But when you remove the word should, you lead with empathy and you lead with a lot more grace going into situations, whether again, it's a partner or it's a boss or a coworker or a family member or goodness, friggin' somebody who cuts you off in traffic. They should not have cut me off in traffic. Okay, well, they did. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to drive with road rage? You can't quite replace the word will with somebody else, but you can choose how you respond and the expectations that you set on somebody and how you react to it. Yeah, they probably should not have cut you off. They should not have rear-ended you, but they did. And so using the word should immediately puts you in the victim role when you have the opportunity to rise above that and be the bigger person. And again, lead with empathy and grace and say, okay, I just got rear-ended. I will get out of this car, exchange information. I will lead with grace and empathy and hope that they have a really good excuse for why they rear-ended me on dry roads on a sunny day in the middle of traffic. I will show up for this moment and I will lead with grace. Because inevitably, you know you're going to go home and go, oh, I shouldn't have cussed that person out after they rear-ended me. They had... Their son was choking in the back seat. Guys, that has happened to us. Our son was choking in a car and we had to stop in the middle of the road, pouring rain in Texas and get out and give him the Heimlich. I mean, you just never know what somebody's going through. So I just want you to reframe the word should and replace it with will 
And that is going to give you a lot more power in every situation when you feel like you're getting set up for disappointment by somebody else. I want to end with this question that I'm going to end every episode with. When was the last time you didn't feel like enough? When was the last time I didn't feel like enough? In regards to this episode and the word should, I'm going to give you a little background. This month, I have actually taken a month off of reaching out to friends. Now, before you come out with pitchforks, (laughs) I want you to hear me out. As a person who sees the world through an Enneagram 2 filter, I wanted to relieve myself of the responsibilities and expectations of my friends. I am that person who lays awake at night thinking, oh, I didn't text my friend after her surgery. I should do that in the morning, right? Oh, I should have called my mom back. It's been two days. I need to call my mom back. I should have asked so-and-so how she's doing after her breakup. I put this outrageous pressure on myself to reach out to friends and keep in touch because to me, relationships are life. My relationships are everything and they are where I find a lot of my self-identity and self-worth, which I'm working on and I'm navigating and I'm sorting through that I am worthy of love and compassion and hugs and being texted first outside of my relationships. And so in tandem with that, I wanted to relieve pressure from myself. And my my husband asked what the goal was. Because whenever I told him that I was doing this challenge, he was like, whoa, are you sure about this? And he said, what are you hoping you'll discover? And I said, well, the old me would take tabs on who actually reached out, right? Like, okay, this person reached out. We're still friends. This person reached out. We're... But I said, no, I want to relieve my friends of that pressure too. And I want to know that the world is not going to fall apart if I don't reach out to somebody five days a week. I don't have to carry the weight of my friendships on my shoulder because some people just aren't good at keeping in touch. And I wanted to relieve myself of the should pressure of who I should be reaching out to, who I should not have talked to in a couple of weeks, which friendships I think are going to fail if I don't reach out to them. I wanted to relieve myself of that pressure. In tandem, I wanted to relieve my friends of that pressure. I wanted to know for myself that my friendships were not going to fall apart if they did not reach out to me. And let me tell you, like removing that expectation and that should has already cleared up so much mental real estate for me on having to keep in touch. And it's relieved me of this pressure that it's my quote unquote duty to keep in touch with friends and I should be doing this or else the world's going to fall apart. And if you're an Enneagram too, if that's how you see your, you filter the world through, then you totally understand where I'm coming from. And I was reading a book about how to, how to care for your personality type. And one of the, one of the challenges was, Hey, take a week off of reaching out to friends and see what happens. Let them contact you before 10 AM. And I was like, what? That's a sin. That sounds so wrong on so many levels. I have given a very long-winded answer to this question. When was the last time you didn't feel good enough? This is it. I'm in it right now because again, my self-identity is wrapped up in my friendships. And so I have grown a lot in the last few weeks of this challenge of not reaching out to people because I think I should, but this has removed so much pressure. And again, I'm, I'm in it right now where I don't feel like enough because I'm not doing enough and I don't have to be doing anything for my friendships to survive and thrive. And so right now is the last time I didn't feel good enough. I'm working through what it feels like to just love myself and be content 
with myself not doing anything. I hope you loved this episode as much as I loved journaling about it and then turning it into a podcast episode. If you're interested in learning more about, again, what what I do and how we can work together, visit taylorjones.co. You can follow along. I love Instagram. That is the platform I am most active on. Follow along at taylorjonesphotography.com. If you are a photographer, let me know. I love my photographers. I also love all creative female entrepreneurs. I am so excited about the direction that this podcast is going. And I can't wait to see you on the next episode. I hope you have a beautiful day today. Please feel free to reach out at any point. Take care.